We're going to start a new series tonight, and we're going to be working on this, um, oh, for quite a while. And uh, so we're going to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> Matthew the 5th chapter. Uh, we're going to enter into um, a season of teaching along the lines of prayer on Wednesday night, and, and uh, I, I may make some comments uh, on Sunday morning about what I sense uh, the season that that the season that we are in in our church, I just know that right now it's just a real strong season of stirring ourselves up, stirring up the gifts on the inside of us. Amen. But uh, we're going to look at what the Master. We're going to look at what the Lord Jesus Himself said uh, concerning prayer. So let's pray, and we'll get into the first installment of this. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for those that have come. Thank you for friends that are here tonight. Thank you for all of our partners, all of our members, Lord, all of our visitors. We give you glory tonight for your word that it will go forth in love, go forth in power. And we pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. That we may know what is the hope of our calling. That we may know what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. Father, we pray that you would strengthen every one of our hearts with might by your spirit in the inner man. May we get revelation concerning how much that you love us, how much that you love us and care for us. And we give you glory tonight that we will not leave this place unchanged, but we will leave edified and built up in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. Okay, look at uh, Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we'll look at verses 43 and verse 44. Matthew, the fifth chapter. He says, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, now this is Jesus speaking, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which spitefully use you or persecute you. Interesting. Now turn over to Romans, the second chapter. Uh, Romans 12, if you would. Romans 12, verses 14, right on through verse 21. And we're going to look at that from the Amplified Version. Notice what Jesus said to do to your enemies. He said, bless them. He said, don't curse them. He said, pray for them. Now notice with me in Romans, the 12th chapter, and verses uh, 14, it says, bless those who persecute you, who are cruel in their attitude toward you. Has anybody ever run into a person like that? Okay, It could be a believer, it could be a non-believer, hopefully not in this church, uh, maybe on the job, wherever, might be a relative. Notice that the Word of God says, bless those who persecute you. When you bless those who persecute you, you are asking God to change them. I remember years ago, Marilyn Hickey said, one of the definitions of the word bless carries with it the thought, God changed them. And when you bless them out of your heart, here's what can happen. 
It literally takes the sting out of it concerning your life. You will not be poisoned by those who persecute you. You will not develop a root of bitterness. Therefore, those things at a later date will not be able to spring up and trouble you if you will do what Jesus said to do. Here's what he said. Bless them. Let's, let's keep it up, guys, if we could. He said, bless those who persecute you, who are cruel in their attitude toward you. We've all seen people that have attitude. Bless and do not curse them. Somebody says, well, I just cursed somebody out this afternoon. Well, thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God for the grace of God. And thank God for 1 John 1, 9. You know, you, you might fail. You may miss it here and there. But let's all keep pressing toward the mark. Let's all endeavor in our hearts to be like Jesus. Now look at verse 17 in the Amplified Version. Romans 12, verse 17. And then we'll look right on through verse 21. Repay no one evil for evil. That's the flesh. You know, you spin on me, I'll spin on you. But take thought for what is honest and proper and noble, aiming to be above reproach in the sight of everyone. Let's read on. If it be possible, as far as it depends on you. This is a decision you make. Live at peace with everyone. They may be out of sorts with you. They may be talking about you. But you don't have to allow yourself to be out of sorts with them. Amen? Now you can take authority over those things. You can bind up those principalities and powers that are operating through them. But as far as flesh versus flesh, forget it. We don't operate in the flesh. We operate in the spirit. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, do we? Now notice verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave the way open for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, I will requite, says the Lord. So what the Lord is saying, don't take matters into your own hands. Verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Verse 21. I love this. Read it together. Do not let yourself be overcome by evil but overcome master evil with good. Now, if you proclaim that you are an overcomer and that you have world overcoming faith residing on the inside of you and that you're a lover and not a hater, you can be in control of your emotions. You do not have to allow yourself to be agitated or to be disturbed by the flesh. Notice it with me. It says, do not let yourself be overcome by evil. Remember this, the greater one lives in us. Evil is literally under our feet. But I like this, overcome. Overcome. There are going to be some things to come over. But overcome, master evil with good. 
One way that you can master evil with good when people are talking about you is you can bless them. You can pray for them. God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Or God, forgive them even if they do know what they're doing. Lord, I release it. I let it drop. I refuse to allow this into my spirit and cause filthiness to stack up in my life. I release them. I let them go. I forgive them. Amen. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we do. And then, you know, people will come along and say, well, if you were a real man or if you were a real strong Christian lady, uh, you know, real men, real women of God don't bless. They deal with it head on. No, no, no. Don't be involved in the vengeance process. Look with me now to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll look at verses 8 through 12. And we'll look at that in the amplified version as well. So Jesus has blessed those. You know, Brendan, I've had people talk about us, talk about the ministry. You know, I don't, I don't let it bother me. You know, I'll be honest with you, the older I get, the more it just rolls off my back like water off a duck's back. You know how come water rolls off a duck's back so easily? Because of the oil. Well, you know why some of these things, critical attitudes and, you know, some things, complaints and, and, you know, things people may say about me or Brenda. You know why it just rolls off our back? Because we got the oil of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. And the Holy Ghost, glory to God, put love in us. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's exactly what the devil wants. He wants you to get all riled up. So you toss and turn at night, can't sleep, get in strife, and then all of a sudden he brings all of these imaginations to your mind. Oh boy, I tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to give him a big piece of my mind. You better save what you got left. Now notice with me, he said, finally all of you should be of one and of the same mind, united in spirit, sympathizing with one another, loving each other. As brethren of one household, compassionate and courteous, tender-hearted and humble. Verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, scolding, tongue-lashing or berating, but on the contrary, blessing. Praying for their welfare. Praying for their happiness. Praying for their protection. And truly pitying and loving them. For know that it is to you who have been called that you may yourselves inherit a blessing from God. Think about it. When you are blessing and not cursing and praying and not cussing them out, you're sowing good seed. And the Bible says you will inherit a blessing. That you may obtain a blessing as heirs, bringing welfare and happiness and protection. Notice verse 10. For let him who wants to enjoy life. Do you like enjoying life? I tell you, I love life. I like to get up in the morning and have a great big, huge cup of coffee. Pete's, you know. You may go to Starbucks. You may, you know, flirt around with Mrs. Olson from Folgers. But I like Pete's. 
Major D. I like enjoying life, don't you? I, I just enjoy. It's wonderful when you feel good. Amen. Do you love life? Do you want to see good days? Those aren't good days when you're in the hospital. Those aren't good days when you have migraine headaches. Those aren't good days when your bills are stacked up on the table saying, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Amen. But he that would love and wants to enjoy life and see good days, days of heaven on earth, whether a parent or not. Now here's what he must do and she must do. Keep his tongue from evil and his lips from guile and treachery and deceit. Verse 11. Let him turn away from wickedness and shun it and let him do right. Let him search for peace and harmony, undisturbedness from fears, agitating passions and moral conflicts and seek it eagerly. Do not merely desire peaceful relations with God, with your fellow men and with yourself, but pursue and go after them. And then finally, verse 12, read it with me. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Those who are in upright and right standing with God, his ears are attentive to their prayer. Oh, glory to God. That's what I want to camp out on here for a moment. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of men and women who will walk in love. Men and women who will follow the example of the master. Men and women who will be strong in the Lord and the power of His might and bless and pray and be a blessing. And His ears are attentive to their, to their prayers. So that's the first thing Jesus said about prayer. Let's go on to the second thing now. Turn me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew the 6th chapter. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. I'm going I'm to read this in the Amplified Version. He said, And when you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that they have their reward. Now I want you to notice that word reward. That word reward in the Greek, and I'm going to spell it because I can't pronounce it, but I can read. That word reward is A-P-E-C-H-E-I-N, which literally was the technical business and commercial word for receiving a payment in full. So he's saying here that when a person prays to be seen of men and to impress men and not out of a pure motive unto God, first of all, they're hypocritical. And secondly, they have their full reward and their full reward is not the praise of men, but their full reward is the it, not the praise of God, but it's the praise of man. Now, let's think about this word hypocrite for a moment. Say hypocrite with me. I'm going to read uh, from David Guzik's 
uh, commentary on the word hypocrite, as the hypocrites do, he says. Such performers are rightly called hypocrites because they are actors acting the part of pious, holy people when they are really not. It's not having a standard that makes someone a hypocrite, but it is falsely claiming to live by that standard when you, in fact, do not. Or when you have a double standard, that makes one a hypocrite. In older Greek, the word hypocrite was hypocritus. In older Greek, that who was a hypocrite was an actor. And in the first century, the term came to be used for those who play roles and who see the world as their stage. So understand this, that Jesus was absolutely against religion. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees would pray normally three times a day. And when they would go into the synagogue, they would ask someone to stand up and to pray. And many times, because their hearts weren't right, they would go into these long, long prayers to impress the other people in the synagogue. And the Lord is saying, don't be like the hypocrites. Make sure that when you go into a public place of prayer, that you're not there to be seen of men, but that you're there to bring your supply in the Spirit toward the overall plan of God that is taking place at that public assembly. And I think it's very important because... Jesus deals within the context here. He deals within the context of private prayer and public prayer. He's not against public prayer. Public prayer, united prayer, is a very important component of the local church. It is so powerful and so wonderful to have prayer meetings where five people come, or ten people come, or a hundred people come, like last Friday night. And everyone was in one accord. Everyone was in unity, calling out to Jehovah, the Most High God, and petitioning the throne room of grace in the spirit of unity and the spirit of love. It's such a powerful thing. And so Jesus is not... Coming against public prayer. And I'm sure not coming against public prayer. But he was saying make sure that the motivations of your heart are right and pure. You know if you're called on to pray. Sometimes the shorter the better. He talked about people and Pharisees and hypocrites. That got into prayers having vain repetitions. And we're going to deal with that a little bit tonight. He says, truly I tell you to you, they have their full reward already. Now notice in verse 6. And I want you to pull it up in the King James Version. We were in the Amplified. But I want you to notice this. But when you pray, look at your neighbor and say, when you pray. Or when we pray. He says, now... Enter into thy closet. 
And when you have shut your door, pray to your father, which is in secret. And your father, which which is in secret, what will he do? He shall reward thee openly. Now back then, a closet was like a room. Back then, and in those particular days, a closet wasn't like a closet that you know at your home. Some of your closets might need some cleaning. Don't go there. But it's not that kind of closet. The kind of closet that Jesus was talking about for that day and for that particular time was literally, it was a storeroom. It was a place where they would keep their treasures. A very well-known man of God showed me his closet one time. Remember that, honey? And in that closet, there, were, there was a safe. And he opened the safe, and there were certain gems and there were certain treasures that kind of were thumbprints throughout his life. It was a, it was a storehouse. It was a, it was a closet. And so when Jesus said, enter into your closet... Go to that storehouse, go to that storeroom where your treasures are kept. And what Jesus was saying is this. If you will enter your closet and pray out of a sincere heart, there's going to be treasures waiting for you in your prayer closet. There's going to be some answers that are going to flow into your life. There are going to be some spiritual nuggets and there's going to be some revelation from the throne room of grace As you enter into that realm of prayer. He said call unto me. And I will answer you. And listen. He said I will show you great and mighty things. Which you don't know. The word mighty there means hidden things. You see, what was hidden to your mind, what was hidden to your natural knowledge, when you enter into that storehouse, that treasury of prayer, God will begin to share with you the hidden things that you need to know concerning your life. Amen. And so then Jesus is talking about, listen, it's good to pray publicly. It's awesome to pray publicly. But did you know that your private prayer life is more important than your public prayer life? The most powerful prayers that I know are private prayers. Oh yeah, they'll pray and unitedly they'll pray in a corporate setting. But the most powerful prayers are people that have that sweet communion with God. And they get a hold of God and the throne room of grace. Listen, I believe there's going to be some awesome rewards passed out at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Or when people go home to be with the Lord. You know, it's not going to be the hot shot Madison Avenue preacher that's going to get all the rewards. But it's going to be Grandma Brown. And Grandma Smith. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Those people who on bended knee prayed the power of God into a city. Prayed the power of God into a nation. Prayed the power of God into a church. God said He'll reward you openly. And those are the kind of rewards that you want. Oh, such and such is such a prayer. Isn't he marvelous? Isn't he wonderful? Don't you think that the focus has gotten a little twisted? Don't you think that the focus has gotten a little perverted? On preachers and on man and off Jesus? 
I think in this day and this hour that we need to have our hearts, our minds, and our absolute everything set upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know I'm preaching good now. Thy Father, which sees in secret, He's going to reward thee openly. Amen. Verse 7. But when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. They think that they'll be heard for their much speaking. When I was a little boy, I had to go in the confessional and see the Padre. I didn't have a hotline toward heaven. And I'm not against Catholic priests and I'm not against nuns. Anyone that's cleansed by the blood and calls on the name of the Lord is all right with me. But did you know that it's unscriptural to confess your sin to a man? And to get absolution from a man? No, you've got a way and entrance into the throne of grace for yourself. But oh man, I can remember, you know, because I was told as a little boy, you know, if you miss church, you're going to go to hell. If you miss, if you miss Sunday, and if you eat meat on Friday, Mark, and that car comes and hits you and runs you up, you are immediately going to hell. That's not a venial sin, that's a mortal sin. You know what a mortal sin is? A mortal sin is you're dead, baby. You're on your way to hell. I mean, that was the message. I'd go into the church, man, and some of those saints, you know, on the wall, they look ticked off. I always used to look at one because I thought his eyes were moving. And that was the picture we had growing up, that God was this all-seeing eye. Man, you better not mess up. Thank God whom the Son has set free. I said, thank God whom the Son has set free. It's free indeed. But especially as a little boy, man, I, I used to go there Saturday afternoons, woo, head into that confessional. And some of those priests weren't real happy. I mean, you talk about thunderings and lightnings. It felt like that. And then they would give you, you know, a list of prayers to say. If you got the whole rosary, you were really in trouble. But, you know, with me, it was mostly, you know, okay, ten Our Fathers and, and ten Hail Marys. So, you know, you'd go over to the place, you kneel down, and you'd pray those prayers vainly, repetitiously ritualistically thinking that we'll be heard and forgiven for our much speaking okay now we can look at that and say okay but what about Christians who get into an arena of the flesh and high gear emotion when they pray and I've got a be careful how I say these things because I've, I've prayed with a lot of people and I don't want to, you know, identify anyone per se. But I used to be in a prayer meeting where every other word was Father God. Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Like a ooga, ooga, you know. 
I'm thinking, somebody help the man. You know, I'm thinking, Jesus. And I, and I, it, it would just, my spirit would just, it would just cringe. Because it was, it was so repetitive and so religious. And uh, so I had to remove myself from that. And so it's very important that we be attuned spiritually. And that when we pray, we just don't pray a bunch of words repetitively that just have no force in them. And then I've seen other emotional prayers. And, and I believe in, 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 you know, I've gotten emotional before in my praying. And yes, I've actually cried before. But there's this, this fleshy weeping. Oh, God. Oh, 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 God, God. You know, and it's like, oh, 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 oh. You know, it's like, please, shut up. Because it's not in the spirit, it's in the flesh. Now, sometimes it can be. But you'll know in your own spirit when it's right and when it's not. Amen? And so, when he said, but when you pray, he says, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for much speaking. Literally, the word vain there is babbling. In other words, don't get into an arena of babbling, of babbling. You know, I think it's really important, even in the area of public prayer, that we conduct ourselves in a decently and an orderly way. Amen? Amen? Now, in United Prayer, when we have prayer meetings in the church, we usually have a leader that is praying and is ministering, and oftentimes praying prophetically. Not pathetically, but praying pathetically by the Spirit of God. Amen. And it's so vital that when we pray and we come together and pray publicly together, that the leader is being followed. Because if the leader is flowing and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that leader is going to lead us into the areas and into the purpose for prayer for that particular time. Now, it's so vital that your voice does not go above your leaders. It is so vital that you stay in tune and stay attuned with the leader And don't, you know, if you've got a foghorn for a voice, you know, you need to tone it down a little bit. Or if you've got a real, real squeaky voice, you know, what that happens, what happens there is people get irritated. And people get distracted. And it can quench the Holy Spirit. So it's vital then that we learn to conduct ourselves in a way and in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord when we're praying corporately. Now I'm sharing some of these things because I believe we do have decency. I believe we do have order. And by the grace of God, it's going to stay that way. Now notice with me. He says, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. 
Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before that you ask Him. Now notice verse 9. He begins to switch gears. He said, After this manner, pray ye therefore, Our Father, which art in heaven. Everyone say, Our Father, which art in heaven. And then he goes on to say, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Say it the last part with me. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So in these verses... Jesus taught his disciples some basic elements of prayer. This is commonly referred to as what? Does anyone know? It's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, but technically it should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Or a model prayer that he gave to them while he walked with them on the earth. It's important that you understand this. Because dispensationally speaking, that is not the church praying. Amen. I said that is not the church praying. What Jesus simply did is he gave them a model of prayer. And what we can do with that model of prayer is we can take those principles and we can adopt them into our private prayer life. How many of you remember a guy by the name of Larry Lee? Larry Lee, years ago, was used powerfully to bring a transformational teaching to the body of Christ on this prayer model. And if you will notice the first part of that model, he says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is the principle of praise. That is the principle of worship. I believe this, that all prayer should begin with worship. I believe that all prayer should begin with honor to the Lord and praise to God. Oftentimes in my own individual prayer life, I'll say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I worship you and I thank you and I give you glory for this another day to serve you And to give you my all for the glory of God. And then I'll begin to hollow the names of God. I will begin to reverence or to worship his various names. I'll say things like, Father God, I thank you that you are the great Jehovah. You are El Shaddai. The God is more than enough. And I just want to worship you today and praise you because your attributes and your characteristics are exemplified in your names. And then I will start naming some of his names. And I'll say, Father, I just praise you today that you are Jehovah Sidkenu, that you are my righteousness and that because of you, I've got right standing with God. See, what am I doing? 
I'm praising Him because He is the all-righteous one. He is my righteousness. But I'm also reminding myself that in Him I can stand pure. In Him I can stand righteously. And then I'll move into another area. Father, I worship you today because you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the Lord who heals me. I give you honor today. I praise you and I worship you. And then out of my spirit will just flow scripture upon scripture about his healing power working in my life. See, if you have a need in an area of your life, worship God over it. Praise God over it. Thank him because he is your healer. And then worship him consistently and praise him because he is not only the Lord that has healed you, but he is the Lord who continuously keeps his healing power flowing in your life. And then just tons of scripture will just come out of my spirit. Lord, I thank you that Jesus bore my sins. And on the same day, he bore my sicknesses and carried my pains. I worship you today because Jesus, you took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. What am I doing? I'm doing what Jesus said. I'm saying, our Father, which art in heaven, I hallow your names. And then I thank him because he is the Lord who sanctifies me. He is Jehovah Mekadesh. You know what sanctification means? That the power of Jesus Christ will separate you from unholy and profane profane and polluting things that will bring your life down. So I worship him and I thank him. Lord God, I thank you for your sanctifying power in my life. For your cleansing power in my life. And then I thank him that he is Jehovah Shalom. Anybody know what Shalom means? Somebody help me. Thank you, Lord. That you are my peace. Oh, glory to God. I mean, we need to double up on that a little bit. Thank you, Lord. You're my peace. Thank you, Lord. You've given me a peace that this world knows nothing about. A peace that passes all understanding. I worship you, Jehovah Shalom. Your peace is on me, all around me. It keeps me. Woo, glory to God. And so I can start the day out before the devil starts his little antics. Before he starts with his little deceptions and his little lies. Like Billy Brim used to say, what are you going to do now? How's this going to be done? You know, it is not my business to know how. It is my business to praise who? Hallelujah. I know in whom I have believed. I don't know how he's always going to do it. But I can rest in my covenant. And you know what? So can you. You know, the Bible says that we, by the grace of God, we can cast all our care upon him. He is Jehovah Shalom. He gives us peace in the midst of struggles. Anybody face any struggles? Anybody face any tests? You know, Jesus said this. He said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. That's just another way of saying, in the world, you're going to be tested, you're going to be tempted, and you're going to be tried. But he says, look, be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. He says, in me, you have peace. I love what he said in John 14. 
He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Stop allowing yourself to be agitated. He says, I give you a peace that this world knows nothing about. That's good, isn't it? And so you can worship him, your heavenly father. I worship you today because you are Jehovah Shalom. And then I'll worship him sometimes, some mornings, because he is Jehovah Nisi. And that means he is my victor. He's my champion. And I'll thank him because, you know what? He triumphed over death, hell, and the grave for me. And if he triumphed over death, hell, and the grave for me, and already did the most difficult thing, whooping up the devil in his own backyard and being raised from the dead, what's a simple PG&E bill? Come on. That's right. I mean, if he already gave us the biggest victory over the biggest blockades in our life, what's to keep him from healing your body? Amen. What's to keep him from causing your babies to come in from far? What's to keep him from being Jehovah Jireh? He's your victory. And then we can worship and just lift your hands right now. Say, Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we praise you. That you are Jehovah. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are our God. You are my God. I thank you, Lord, that you abundantly supply and you fill to the full any need, every need, past, present, or future that I have ever faced or ever face. You are the Lord. Who goes before. Who sees before. You are my provider. And I'm just here to thank you for it. Come on. Let's give him glory tonight. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are the great God. You are the God of peace. You are the God of abundance. You are the God of strength. You are the God of victory. You are the God of health. You are the God of joy. And I worship you, Lord. I give you glory. I give you praise today. I'm telling you what, if you start your day out like that, hallelujah, it'll change the way you see your day. It'll change the way that you approach your day. You'll go out of your house feeling good. You'll go out of your house feeling and knowing, hallelujah, that the Lord is for you. He's not against you, that he is on your side. Woo, glory to God. You are. The great king. And I worship you, Lord. I worship you. And I thank you. And the more that you thank him, and the more that you praise him, the more positioned you are for greater increase of those things in your life. It's just a fact. And sometimes it's difficult to do. But you know what? God has given you the Holy Spirit. Put your hand right there. Say this with me. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside. And greater is he who lives in me than he that is in the world. And you know what you got to do sometimes with your spirit man and the Holy Spirit? You got to stir them up. You got to stir them up. 
There's no better way than to stir him up than to start praising God, to start worshiping God, to start speaking in other tongues. You know, Paul said, I want to remind you, son Timothy, that you have had a great gift deposited on the inside of you. And I'm telling you, Timothy, you need to stir him up. And I believe the Holy Spirit is saying, stir up, heart of the bay, your prayer life. Stir yourself up in the area of private prayer. Stir yourself up in the area of praise and worship. And you will begin to see the glory of the Lord manifest in so many areas of your life. Amen? Is that all right for tonight? Let's all stand up and praise Him right now. Glory to God.